You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Hard forks and digital currencies as Bitfinex recovers from its big heist. Cybercrime and hacktivism versus the Rio Olympics. HVAC vulnerabilities. Quad rooter Android chip firmware issues. NSA's alleged trove of undisclosed vulnerabilities looks smaller than thought. A lot smaller. More fancy bear paw prints in the DNC and DCC hacks. Trends discussed at Black Hat. And DARPA's AI capture the flag results are in. Mayhem to win, Xander to place, and Mechfish to show. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 8th, 2016. Bitfinex, the digital currency exchange that lost nearly 120,000 Bitcoin, about $63 million, to theft recently, is beginning its recovery by spreading the losses among its customers. About 36% will be shaved and losses recorded to a BFX token that will either be redeemed or exchanged for iFinex stock at some future time. iFinex, Bitfinex's corporate parent, is working through its recovery from the theft. Some of that recovery will involve a hard fork of the Ethereum public blockchain-based distributed computing platform. We'll hear more about what that fork amounts to a bit later from our partners at the University of Maryland. The other major cybercrime news comes from Brazil, where the Rio Olympics are in full swing. Anonymous, to no one's surprise, is conducting denial-of-service operations against various Brazilian government sites to redress a set of grievances connected with the Games. In the anonymous view of the matter, the Olympics essentially paper over poverty, violence, and police misconduct in and around Rio de Janeiro. Another group, the New World Hackers, took down swimmer Michael Phelps's website shortly after he won his 20th gold medal. They say they're doing it to expose the vulnerability of high-profile celebrity websites and, by extension, other websites. But their concurrent offering of the Bangstressor DDoS tool suggests that this is criminal marketing and not altruistic vulnerability demonstration. If you're down in Rio, what's the cybersecurity situation actually like? A mess, basically. We spoke with Gray Burkhart and Brad Maderi from Booz Allen Hamilton about the cybersecurity situation in Rio. First up is Gray Burkhart. This is uh, going to be a target-rich environment. Brazil has the most robust Internet uh, infrastructure in, on the continent, uh, the most bandwidth, the most uh, proliferation of both wired and wireless uh, you know, access, broadband access. The cybercrime you know, environment uh, in Brazil is, is pretty grim. Enforcement, you know, first of all, the legal framework is, is, 
very weak. These criminal elements in Brazil are, are very prolific, very well developed. Uh, they're known for a wide variety of uh, schemes. What would be most danger to travelers will be um, ATM skimming, point of sale breaches where they'll actually you know, get inside point of sale systems and steal um, credit card, uh, payment card information uh, when shoppers make a purchase. Uh, and also uh, various kinds of uh, Wi-Fi fraud. The Olympic Games folks are setting up um, a dedicated you know, Wi-Fi network around the, the Games venues in anticipation of having so many people with so many you know, Wi-Fi devices. And this is a, a great opportunity for criminals to set up their own you know, Wi-Fi networks, mimicking the Olympic networks, and therefore becoming men in the middle and stealing whatever information is, is being passed uh, from your device to the network. Brad Maderi warns visitors to be particularly vigilant when it comes to phishing attempts. And I think there's going to be a lot of scams in terms of, you know, people looking for tickets, people looking to purchase other types of services. You know, I think that, you know, being very, very prudent in terms of what sites you're visiting and, and what emails that you're clicking on. You know, I think that, you know, with all the, the public Wi-Fi's down there, be, being sensitive to visiting unsuspecting and, and malicious websites using, um, you know, HTTPS and uh, secure connections. And it's not just visitors to the games that should be on alert. Here's Gray Burkhardt. I'd also point out that, you know, Brad was mentioning phishing and, and uh, malicious websites, and that's not just limited to travelers. That's anybody who has an interest in the Olympics, and we expect there to be a lot of people who want to buy memorabilia, or be attracted by, you know, you know, live streaming of some event which turns out to be a watering hole, um, and they, they click on a website and they're infected. Um, so this is a potential global threat. That's Gray Burkhart and Brad Maderi from Booz Allen Hamilton. Trustwave's Spider Labs reports vulnerabilities in the Train Residential Comfort Link XL850 thermostat. This is a smart thermostat that lets users set their heating and cooling schedules remotely from a mobile device. Unfortunately, it also exposes a great deal of information over weakly secured and easily compromised interfaces. It would be possible for an ill-intentioned third party not only to control heating and cooling, possibly damaging a building in addition to simply causing discomfort and inconvenience, but also to gain information about the occupancy times, which of course is interesting to those who wish to schedule burglaries. Trustwave says the train was receptive to the vulnerability reports and has fixed the issues Spider Labs found. Checkpoint has said it's found four issues with Qualcomm chips widely used in Android devices. They're calling the set of vulnerabilities Quadrooter and say they could be used to trigger privilege escalation and ultimately to gain root access to the affected devices. Not all the vulnerability news is necessarily bad, however. Many in the security industry have long suspected that the U.S. National Security Agency is sitting on a large undisclosed hoard of vulnerabilities. In imagination, this tends to look like the secret archive shown at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, a vast warehouse filled with everything from Father of Stuxnet to the results of that hackathon the Illuminati hold at the Bohemian Grove every leap day. And you didn't hear that from us. But researchers at Columbia University have looked into it and say, no, really, there's no such trove at all. The NSA really isn't keeping a lot of undisclosed bugs from the rest of the world. Of course, as Russia Today might say... That's what they would say, isn't it? Speaking of Russia today, they took strong exception over the weekend to advice from the Atlantic Council to countries whose relations with Russia are fraught. The Atlantic Council apparently recommended that countries like Poland consider developing ways of holding Russian cyber infrastructure at risk. 
This isn't an idea welcome in Moscow. More evidence has accumulated, this time courtesy of ThreatConnect and Fidelis, that Fancy Bear is indeed a Russian government operation, and that, yes indeed, Fancy Bear was behind the DNC and DCCC hacks. Last week's security events in Las Vegas have concluded. Black Hat, DEFCON, and B-Sides are now in the books. But the news from them continues. The people we spoke to in Nevada last week tended to agree on several trends. First, the biggest challenge to the security industry remains the shortage of skilled labor, and the technical solutions people are interested in are those that help small staffs increase their productivity and effectiveness. Vendor and venture capitalists seem equally convinced that the need to address labor shortages will continue to drive the direction of technology's evolution. Second, that shortage of labor also means delivering products, services, and solutions that integrate easily and quickly with customers' infrastructure. There's little demand anymore for difficult-to-implement-or-operate products that seem destined to become shelfware. Third, the Internet of Things remains a big concern, and here there were many presentations of vulnerabilities in everything from programmable logic controllers to seismic observatories to personal massage devices. Did you know those last are often equipped with Bluetooth? Neither did we, but a team of Australian researchers noticed. Miller and Valasek followed up last year's well-known Jeep hack with a more disturbing demonstration that exploited a vehicle's controller area network, that's the CAN bus. Open Source Security described PLC Blaster, a worm that automatically searches for and spreads among programmable logic controllers. And finally, DARPA's Machine vs. Machine Capture the Flag competition has a winner, announced at DEF CON. If you were betting, here are the results. Mayhem from the For All Secure team took first place and the $2 million winner's stake. Xandra placed second, paying $1 million, and Mechfish showed at $750,000. Get your hacking forms out, Tinhorns. There's a guy that says, can do. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. 
Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, we got word recently that the Ethereum project uh, forked their code. Uh, let's start off. Uh, can you explain to us what is Ethereum and what's the significance of the code being forked? Well, yeah, basically Ethereum is a generalization of Bitcoin, or you can view it as a generalization of Bitcoin, where uh, what Ethereum allows you to do is to write these uh, smart contracts that perform computation and then can transfer uh, coins based on the results of that computation, and this is all done on the blockchain. And so what happened uh, a few weeks ago was that uh, there was a fund set up that uh, exactly allowed people to use these smart contracts to uh, invest money. And uh, somebody figured out a way, actually, to manipulate the contract that would define the fund and to manipulate it in such a way that they were able to steal money uh, from that fund. And so this left the people who operate uh, Ethereum with, with a quandary of, of what to do next, and, and they decided to, to, fork, uh, to fork the code, yes? Yeah, that's right. So it comes down really to a question of whether or not to uh, believe that the code defines what's allowed and what's not allowed. And so there are people who basically maintain that and are, and are continuing to run what they're calling Ethereum Classic. Uh, and they basically say, well, you know, somebody was able to find a loophole, as it were, in this contract that was written. And so by the, by the laws of Ethereum, as it were, uh, that's allowed. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, whereas the people who forked the Ethereum chain uh, basically looked at this and said, well, that's not what was intended to happen. And so that's uh, really uh, an immoral or, or even an illegal uh, act. And so we want to undo that transaction. We want to undo the, uh, the, the, um, the fact that those coins were stolen. And so they introduced a fork in the chain. So what's interesting is that you have these two groups of people, uh, one of whom is continuing uh, the original Ethereum chain and one, of whom, and, and one set of which is operating on this fork of the chain. And, and there are people who are saying that this is potentially setting uh, a negative precedent. What's, what's their argument? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, there are two things here. The first thing is just this question of whether or not uh, as I said, whether the, whether the code of a contract determines what's allowed and what's not allowed, or whether there are some uh, rules outside the system, as it were, that determine what should be allowed and what should not be allowed. And so part of the uh, ethos of Ethereum uh, is or was that the code should determine what's allowed. And so people exactly like these um, distributed currencies, like Ethereum and like Bitcoin, because they don't rely on any central, any central government to manage the currency, and they don't rely on any set of external laws. You just operate within the system itself. And so from a philosophical point of view, um, it's sort of an interesting question for people who use these cryptocurrencies. Uh, in addition to that, I think it just throws the whole uh, question of the um, long-term stability of these currencies into question, right? If you're going to have a fork uh, every six months, then uh, it leaves people with a question of what their coins are going to be worth in one year from now. And so this could really shake up confidence in these cryptocurrencies in general. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Jonathan Katz, as always, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.